0: Judges chapter 1 and verse 19. Judges chapter 1 and verse 19. Let's begin reading there. The Lord was with Judah and enabled them to take the possession of the hill country. But they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because those people had iron chariots. Judah gave Hebron to to Caleb just as Moses had promised. Then Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak who lived there. At the same time, the Benjamites did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites had lived among the uh, Benjamites in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Uh, They sent spies to Bethel. The town was formerly named Luz. Uh, the spies saw a man coming out of the town and said to him, Please show us how to get into town and we will treat you well. When he showed him the way into town, they put the town to the sword but released the man and his entire family. Then the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a town, and named it Luz. And that is its name to this day. At that time Manasseh failed to take possession of Bethshan and its villages, or Teanach, and its villages, or the residents of Dor, and its villages, or the residents of Ibliam, and its vi- villages, or the residents of Megiddo, and its villages, the Canaanites refused to leave this land. When Is- the Israelites become stronger, became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. At that time, Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites, who were living in Gezer, so the Canaanites have lived among them in Gezer. Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron or the residents of Nahalol. So the, the uh, Canaanites lived among them and served as forced labor. Asher failed to drive out the residents of Acho or of Sidon or uh, Aklab or Oxib, Helba, Aphek or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land because they failed to drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the residents of Bethshemesh. Or the residents of Beth-Anath. They lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land. But the residents of beth uh, and, and Beth-Anath served as their forced labor. The Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go down to the valley. The Amorites refused to leave Har-Harris, Ijelon, and shal When the house of Joseph got the upper hand, the Amorites were made to serve as forced labor. The territory of the Amorites extended from the ascent of Akrabeem, that is from Sela, upward. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the people who are living in this land, and you are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named that place, Bokim, and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> they had an incomplete obedience to God. Do you remember Saul in the Old Testament? Um, Saul had been commanded by God to completely destroy the Amalekites and everything that breathed. But what did Saul do? He spared the king. And then he also spared the best of the livestock. And so uh, Samuel comes to meet Saul and Saul says, hey, uh, God's given us the victory and... and, uh, and now uh, I have the the king and and so forth and and Samuel says you have disobeyed the Lord. Saul says I've not disobeyed the Lord. I've I've brought the king back and I have uh, brought animals for sacrifice. And so, uh, and uh, Samuel says uh, what is this bleeding that I hear in my ears? In other words, you were supposed to destroy the the animals, everything that breathed, the king, everything that breathed, and you brought these back. And he said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so Saul, in his incomplete obedience, ended up having the kingdom torn away from him and given to David. Uh, As God's people, we need the blessing of God upon our lives, don't we? And uh, one of the ways that we have that blessing upon our lives and, and God's power upon our lives is through our choices to obey Him completely. Um, And there's always going to be a temptation in our life uh, to hold back or not to obey God in different areas of our lives. Uh, This is the temptation that they were experiencing. And uh, different tribes had this experience. If you know uh, Judah, it was said of Judah that God was with them. And they went up and they, they defeated these different places and, and won the victory. But then, after defeating the people in the hill country, verse 19 says that they did not defeat uh, th- those that were living in the plain. They had iron chariots. Uh, and so they didn't obey God fully. Then you have the account of Ephraim and Ephra- Ephraim and Manasseh, the, the descendants of Joseph, um, and The power of God was with them as well, it says. But rather than using that power to completely drive out the peoples of the land and to help the other weaker tribes do the same, they uh, put those tribes to forced labor. And so uh, then you hear the other tribes. The other tribes, it's just a pathetic hash, hash of all the failures they had to do what God told them to do. And their brothers... Uh, that uh, it says here that uh, God made Israel strong. At one point in verse uh, 28, the Israelites became stronger. So they drove the people out of the land. No, that's not what it says. They made the Canaanites serve as forced labor. And so you have this theme going throughout this chapter of the incomplete obedience of God's people to what he has told them to do. And so, then you find out in chapter 2, not only did they not drive the people of the land completely out, but they also, in the places they had already conquered, had not destroyed the Canaanite altars. And so, um, there's this presence of idolatry still in the land, and God is, is going to give them a pronouncement of the penalty of losing the power of God to drive out these enemies, and he says these things are going to be a, they're going to be a, a thorn in your side, a snare to you. Them and their gods are going to be a difficult difficulty for for you. And so, um, we don't need to follow the examples of the Israelites here, uh, and we need to, to instead trust God and follow Him in full obedience, so that we can have His power and blessing on our lives. Overcoming temptations to sin um what are these temptations that they had well the first one that they had was a difficult challenge a difficult challenge in verse 19 it says they could not drive out the people who were living in the valley because these people had iron chariots now at first it just sounds like they didn't have the ability to do so but look at the first half of the verse the lord was with judah and enabled them to take possession of the hill country Though they did not, you could also translate it that way, drive out the people who were living in the valley. Um, So the could not is not necessarily uh, a necessity in the translation. Uh, Though they did not, you could also translate it, drive out these people. But, But regardless of how you translate it, in the book of Joshua, Joshua told the people that iron chariots would not be a problem for them if they trusted God that God would give them the power to overcome the iron chariots. But the people of Judah didn't trust God. You remember um, the story of David where um, he's going to take food. He's the teenager. you know. He's going to take food to his older brothers, and, and they're all lined up. And Goliath comes out and taunts them every, every day, and, and they're quaking in fear. I mean, they're just scared to death of him. And David says, who is this vile Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. And uh, he goes out, you know the story, and he, he kills the giant. And Israel wins a great victory. What was the difference between him and the others who were gathered there that day? David had faith in his God. He had less power than his older brothers. He probably wasn't as strong, wasn't as well trained in battle. That's the reason they left him home with the sheep. But... Because of his faith in God, he was able to win the victory. Judah was supposed to carry out this type of battle, and that's exactly what they had done in Caleb's day. Caleb, Caleb had went up and defeated the giants over 80 years of age. Judah was supposed to continue in this heart attitude of faith and put their trust in God so that they could take the territory. But instead, they saw the challenge and their heart began to melt in fear. Sounds a lot like the first generation of the Israelites in the wilderness. You remember what they said? Uh, the ten spies came back and they said, yeah, it's a great land, but there's giants that live there. And we were like grasshoppers to them. And, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody trying to come up, go up against this huge opponent that, that you know, like uh, Pee Wee Herman trying to fight. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, that's a grasshopper Im, image, you know. And we, we were grasshoppers compared to them. And so they were they were full of fear. But Joshua and Caleb said, oh, hey, this is a good land. God will give us the victory. Let's go up and take it. God has promised it to us. Let's take it. So here again, you see Judah failed to trust God because they have a difficult challenge in front of them that God wants them to trust him for. Um. When God lays something upon our hearts to do, or he tells us to do something in his word, we need to step out in obedience and do it. You may be scared. That's okay. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Right? We, and, and, and what is trust? Trust is just taking that step of obedience. God told Abraham, go to the land I'll show you. What it, and, and the Bible says, so Abraham went. Very simple. Obedience is the expression of my faith in God. Uh, You don't have to have a whole lot of faith. Jesus says, Faith is great as a grain of a mustard seed can move mountains. Why? Because when God tells you to do something and you obey God, God is the one accomplishing it. So you have divine power working on your behalf. It's amazing sometimes how we can get so intimidated. You remember uh, Peter? He had great faith. Lord, Tell me to come to you on the water, right? So he, none of the other disciples said anything like that or even suggested the idea, but Peter had the faith to say, Lord, that's, that looks kind of cool. I think I'd like to do that. Tell me to come to you on the water. And So he says, come. So Peter steps out. And, you know, I can imagine he's taking the first few steps. The disciples' eyes are getting wider and wider. And then Peter notices the storm. What does he do? He begins to sink. He began to look at the challenge rather than looking at the Savior. Somebody once said, "Your uplook determines your outlook. Um, when you have a difficult challenge that God has placed in front of you, uh, keep your eyes upon Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith, isn't he? And so uh, when you're afraid, You can take that fear to God, and you can say, Lord, I'm afraid. He knows it anyway, right? And and Lord, fill me uh, with your spirit and trust through me. Give me the the courage to trust you and to step out for you and do the things that you're calling me to do. Uh, It may be that person that you think could never be saved, that God wants you to talk to him about Jesus. Um, It may be um, a, a role of service that you think you could never do. Um I'll never forget the first time I ever preached. It was Youth Sunday, and they twisted my arm. I didn't want to do it, but they twisted my arm and kind of put me on the spot. So I thought, okay, I'll do it. And uh I got it, I got one of my dad's outlines, and I was I studied, you know, probably spent 20 minutes, a whole lot of time studying, right? <laughs> 20 minutes studying, I thought, okay, I've got this outline down, I think I can do this. And I got up, and I spoke for five minutes, and I couldn't think of anything else to say. And so I turned it over to the preacher, (laughs) and I sat down. And uh, he was kind of amused. He was kind of laughing. And I thought to myself, I sat on the front pew, I will never do that again. And I marked it off my list. That's one thing, no. If they ask me next year, no. No, I'll not do that again. And what did God call me to do? <laughs> he called me to preach. Isn't it ironic? I, I used to—I remember telling um, uh, telling people in high school who would say, "Are you going to be a preacher like your daddy?" And I would say, "No," and I would say just about like that. God has a way of putting something in front of us that we can't do in our own strength. Preacher friend I had had a, um, another uh, pastor who had a choice between two churches that were talking to him. And he told him, he said, well, this church over here, he said, I, it's a small church. He said, I think I can handle this one, but I don't know if I can handle that other one. It's kind of, it's, it's a lot more of a challenge. And uh, he said, well, well what kind of ministry do you want? You want the kind of ministry that you can do or you want the kind of ministry that God can do through you? And he chose the other. He chose the bigger church. And, uh, you know, uh, we tend to do that, don't we? We say, okay, God, here's, here's my parameters. Here's what I can do. And, and we tell God what he can do, and we could go no further. Well, I don't have the strength to do that. I don't have the gift to do that. And, um, and God says, trust me. Step out on faith and do what I tell you to do. Take that next step and see what I could do through you. So uh, they had a difficult challenge. That's the first temptation they had to sin. And by the way, sin is not always what we do. Sometimes it's what we fail to do for God, right? Um, and so when we, God tells us to do something, we don't do it. That's exactly what was happening with Judah. He had told them to completely destroy the Canaanites, to drive them out of the land, to tear down their altars. They didn't do it. It was a difficult challenge. Well, Lord, there's these iron chariots, and they're a lot faster. We don't have iron chariots. And, you know, uh, do the math, God. They've got this, and we don't. Isn't that how a lot of times we do? We do make our decisions purely based on what we can see. But the Bible says that faith is uh, choosing to believe what God has said, even when you can't see it. God told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. His name means exalted father. How many kids you got? None. For years, he goes on, no, exalted father, none. Then he has one, right? And he has that one the wrong way. And then he has, he has Isaac, and God changed his name to Abraham, father of a multitude. How many kids you got? Two. <laughs> you know, isn't that like God? I mean, he... It, you would look at that and you'd say, that's crazy. First of all, it's crazy that God doesn't have any kids. He's called exalted father. God, you promised to make him a great nation. How's that going to happen? He and his wife can't have kids. Because I'm a miracle working God, he says. And so uh, God uh, made Abraham a great nation, the father of many nations, just as he promised. And... God is up to the difficult challenges in our life. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You remember Zachariah? The angel gave him the message, and he, he, he was doubting it and questioning it. He says, hey, you're not going to be able to speak. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This is going to happen. God is still God. You know, sometimes we forget that, don't we? I, I, I'll be right there with you. I lose perspective sometimes. Sometimes we forget that God is still on his throne. He is still able. He can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Um, So don't allow a difficult challenge to tempt you not to do what God has told you to do. So what temptations should we should we look out for? First of all, a difficult challenge. Secondly, a persistent desire. Now, in this case, the desire was not in the Israelites. The desire was in the Canaanites. They wanted to stay in the land. If you look at the last phrase of, uh, uh, of verse 27, the Canaanites refused to leave this land. And uh, one lexicon I looked at said uh, the, the word could mean they asked not to leave this land. Um, And so, uh, there's apparently that connotation there, too. If you look at verse 35, the Amorites refused, same word, to leave these different cities. So, they had a persistent desire. They said, we don't want to go. We're not going to go. This is what we want. And apparently, and we know this from chapter 2, because God says you, you weren't supposed to make a covenant with them. They were making covenants with these these Canaanites and these Amorites to let them stay in the land. Um, Have you ever had your kids be persistent with you? You go to the grocery store. Can I I have a piece of candy? No. Or maybe. (laughs) A few minutes later. Can I have a piece of candy? No. Can I have a piece of candy? No. Can I have a piece of candy? Maybe, but. You know, and I would have this discussion. Finally, after the fifth or sixth time, I'd say, "Okay, you ask me one more time. You're sure not to get it." You know, and so, uh, but but I've been worn down by them too. I've had them ask me a number of times, and I finally say, "Okay, okay, we'll do it." Well, that's what the Canaanites were doing with the Israelites. They they knew the Israelites knew what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to completely destroy the Canaanites. Canaanites were saying, let us have some land here. Let us have some land here. Let's have some land here. We want to be here with you. We, we'll, we'll, co- we'll be in the same place as you and we won't cause you to try. Give us some land. We'll even do forced labor. You know, and, and they're they're trying to per- persistent, be persistent, and convince them to do something. Have you ever had somebody try to convince you to do wrong? Let me look at your paper, at school, you know. I had this one guy. He was annoying. He would sit. He sat next to the, de- the desk next to me, and he would. He's always asking me to cheat. I'd say no, I'm not going to do it. You should have studied, you know. <laughs> he would, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd, he's constantly after him. I said, "Man, you're going to get me in trouble. We're taking a test here, you know." And uh, and so, uh, but you can have you can have somebody or it may be someone in a dating relationship trying to get you to compromise what you're supposed to do and compromise your purity before the Lord. Um, it could be a business decision that you're making, and and somebody's trying to pressure you to do something that you know is not right, and they consistently, persistently are, are after you. Um, be careful that you don't let somebody else's persistent desire cause you to sin against God. In this case, uh, the Canaanites and the Amorites... And their persistent desire influenced the Israelites to compromise what God had told them to do. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I hear sometimes, well, we need, to, we need to relate to the people of this world. And, and, and then right after that, they'll say something that we need to stop doing in our churches or something that we need to start doing that we shouldn't do. The fact of the matter is, we are called to be a holy people of God, to be set apart, and uh, we're not to compromise. We need to, be, we need to be loving with people, but we don't need to compromise what's right in our lives. So uh, don't let the pressure other people put on you cause you to sin against God. Overcoming temptations to sin. Uh, first of all, a difficult challenge. Secondly, a persistent desire. Thirdly, a material gain. A material gain. Now, you get to verse 28. The Israelites became stronger. Now, here's, here's a theme. It's, it's, it talks about the fact that different tribes could not drive them out, or in Dan, in Dan's case, they were actually driven out by the Amorites. Uh, what's this all about, and why would God hold them accountable for something that they were unable to do? Well, well here's the deal. First of all, God had empowered Judah And God had empowered the descendants of Joseph to go to battle, right? And they didn't obey God. Uh, But then it says in verse, uh, I believe it's verse 28, um, he says, uh, Israel became stronger, and they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor. Now, can I tell you something? If you have the power to subject somebody to forced labor, you've got the power to defeat them. But they didn't continue on. You see, these stronger tribes should have helped the weaker tribes to fulfill the work of God. But they all should have trusted God. And the problem was they weren't trusting God. They sought God at the beginning of chapter 1, but how quickly they turned away uh, from following after him. Instead, they were looking for a material gain. They made the Canaanites serve as forced labor. What is in it for me? right? Um, Money, some people say, is the bottom line, right? What can I get out of this situation? And material gain can be such a temptation for people. It was a temptation, and you see it over and over again in this chapter. They They subjected them to forced labor. They subjected them to forced labor. They subjected them to forced labor. They subjected them to forced labor, and, and, and what you're seeing here is the Israelites are selling out on obedience to God for the sake of money. For the sake of riches. If we have this forced labor, we can get all this stuff. They'll do these things for us. They'll make us money. They'll make us wealthy. We'll get something out of it. And they put their desire for money above the priorities of God for their life. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people doing that today in the church. They're putting money above their desire for the things of God. Um, They choose to work the overtime on Sunday rather than come to the house of God because they want to make the extra money. They choose to withhold their tithe or some some to not give it all. Uh, Why? Because they want the money. You know, and, and, and we, we purchase so many different things and we, we go into debt for different things, and, and yet we don't set aside money for God. Material gain is more important to us than obedience to God. So the, uh, the, the people of Israel here were, were more concerned with this material gain. Um, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't serve God and money. You'll serve one or the other. I think one of the reasons that churches is, are so anemic in our land is the idol of choice in America today often is the idol of materialism, the idol of money. Uh, what will get me ahead? What will get me more in my bank account? What will make me more financially secure? Uh, what can give me more purchasing power? And And that becomes the God of our life, Rather than saying, okay, Lord, my finances are from you. It's all yours. And I use it as you lead me to use it. So uh, beware of that temptation in your life. And um, the the tithe is the 10% that I believe God wants us to give. And then tithes and offerings as God leads us. All of it is his, and we give as he leads us to give. Um. But material gain, sometimes it may not be uh, an issue of giving to the church or giving uh, to people, but it may be an issue of getting money in your business in a crooked way. That you sell out your convictions in order to get money. Um, wealth is not a sin. Some people get wealthy honestly and praise God for it. Bless, they're blessed. Praise God. Uh, but some get wealthy through evil means. And the Bible talks about that and, and about the, uh, the damage that can do to your life. And so uh, beware of that temptation of material gain. Don't let that, that lure of material gain keep you from being obedient to God. Put time with God first and put God first in your finances. Somebody once said, write your first check to God. <laughs> and uh, that's a good idea to do. So, overcoming temptations to sin. What temptations are difficult? challenge a persistent desire a material gain and finally a political correctness a political correctness in chapter 2 and verse 2 he says you are not to make a covenant with the people who are living in this land that's what i told you and what have you done you made a covenant with them you have made an agreement with them to let them live here and you are to tear down their altars God had told them in in the book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere, he told them, when you go into the land of Canaan, you're going to be carrying out judgment against the people of the land, but you need to completely destroy them. Why? Because they will lead you into sin. They'll lead you into idolatry. You need to tear down their altars. Gideon, later on in the book of Judges, tears down his own father's altar. And there's a mob waiting there to kill him. Can I tell you something? Sometimes it costs to stand for Jesus Christ, to do the right thing for Jesus Christ. Um, But God protected him. (laughs) And uh, they called him Jerob It means let Baal plead. In other words, his his dad said, well, you know, uh, do we really have to protect Baal's honor? Can't Baal protect himself? I mean, if he really is a god, can't he come against... Uh, And so Gideon ends up being delivered out of that and God honors what he has done and uses him to win a great battle for God. Why? Because he was willing to be obedient to God in something that was politically incorrect to do. Can I tell you something? The pressure is increasing in our country to be politically correct. People don't like it when you say there's one way to heaven. People don't like it when you say homosexuality is wrong or that sexual immorality in general is wrong uh people don't like it uh when you uh talk about uh god and and when you make your faith public and uh and when you stand and you say i am not going to do this because of my faith in god uh people ridicule and they pressure you to to come into that mold um, there's a uh a systematic effort that's being made in our country to make everybody a cookie cutter of everybody else. And uh, I don't have time to get into it. That's something this week I, I'd seen. and uh, But, you know, I'm just amazed at the pressure that continues to increase in our country to keep your mouth shut. Let your Christianity be private. And we're told we need to be politically correct. Can I tell you something? We need to speak the truth in love. That's what we need to do. Uh, If there's to be hope for our country, what did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Our country's free because we had some founders that believed the Word of God. We had some founders that stood on the principles of Scripture and wanted religious freedom. They left Britain to get away from the oppression and the religious persecution that they were experiencing... And Britain was saying, "You don't say this and you don't do this or you will have to answer to us." And so they came to this land so that they could have religious freedom. Guess what? The same thing is happening in America today. People are putting pressure on Christians to be quiet. and they're going to continue to be pressure. But I, I tell you this, the Israelites had this pressure and they caved. They caved big time. They said, okay, You don't like it that we're supposed to completely drive you out and kill you all? I probably wouldn't like that either. Uh, We'll make an agreement with you. You know, there are people out there trying to, to ride both sides of the fence, right? Have one foot in the world and please people in the world. Have one foot in the things of God and please people in the church. But can I tell you something? You can't do that. You've got to follow God. Wholeheartedly, in your life, some people leave the altars, the idolatry in their lives. They leave those altars standing. There's something in in your life, maybe that that has been a, a consistent snare to you, that continues to lead you off course in your Christian life, and and you don't you don't deal with it, you don't tear it down in your life. Um. C.S. Lewis. Um, Talked about a, a man who had this um, this this animal, I forget what kind of animal it was, but it was sitting on his shoulder and, and kept trying to get him to do wrong things. And uh, and this this man says to him, he says, he says, I can take that animal away if you want me to. And he says, Well, no, no, I don't want you to take it away. You know, and, and it was kind of supposed to be a picture of how sometimes we will treasure that particular sin in our life or that particular activity in our life and on the one hand we'll give lip service to wanting to be different but on the other hand we really don't want to decisively deal with the problem uh, that's exactly where the israelites were they they had these altars and they didn't want to decisively deal with the problem because it would offend somebody else um, tear down those altars what did, what does the scripture say in the new testament mortify the deeds of the flesh. What's that mean? That's an old archaic word. Basically, it means put it to death. You know, uh, stomp on its neck, uh, get the proverbial shotgun out and shoot it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, deal with it. Put it to death. Don't entertain these fleshly desires. Put them to death. Well, how do you do that? Well, there's a number of ways you... The scripture tells you, depending on what what type of sin it is, but one way you do it is through repentance and and asking God to to fill you with his Holy Spirit and live through you the life that he has called you to live. Um, Another way to deal with it is to confess it to someone you trust. Um, James says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes bringing something like that out into the light helps, helps to, uh, to aid the process of freedom, and, and also definitely the prayers of that other person can help you in your walk with God. Um, sometimes it may, it may mean taking decisive action. Uh, there have been, been times that uh, I've heard, uh, and, and I've had this experience myself, of, of uh, someone giving a person counsel. They're, they're beginning to get into an affair. And they say, quit your job. Find another job. That person's at your job. You need to cut ties completely with that person. Quit your job and go elsewhere. And they won't do it. They're leaving the altar standing, right? And what happens? They end up going down the path of sin. Sometimes you've got to take decisive action to deal with the sin in your life. So, uh, political correctness is not good in your walk with God. You need to do what God tells you to do regardless of what people think. That's hard, isn't it? I think in and, and all of us there's this tendency to want to please other people, right? One of the most tragic stories that, I, that I've, I've seen in the Bible is the story of Eli. Eli was a man, I think, who loved God. But he had two sons that were wicked, and he never, he didn't correct them. he didn't provide the discipline that they needed, and he kind of let them go their own way and they were desecrating the tabernacle and they were uh, doing wicked things, even even having sexual relationships with women in, in the temple in, I mean the tabernacle courts there and uh, and God told Eli, he said, "You have put your sons before me." in the interest of not offending your sons, and in the interest of having a good relationship with your sons, you have put them before me. They've become an idol in your life. You've not dealt with this. And because of this, I'm taking the priesthood from you, and I'm giving it to somebody who will uphold the truth. And it was tragic. And um, the battle that came to, to Israel, both Hophni and Phinehas, both of Eli's sons, were killed in battle. I, Eli hears about it, and he falls off the stool, and he is killed. His, his, uh, his neck is broken, and he's killed. And the Bible says, and the glory had departed from Israel. Ichabod was born. <laughs> that be a great name to have as a kid. What's your name, Ichabod? My, na- my name means the glory has departed. <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> but... Because of his desire to please somebody else, he ends up losing the blessing of God upon his life. Who do we love more? Who do we care about more? The opinion of the Lord or the opinion of people? Um, That kept me from, from coming to salvation for about a year. I wrestled with that. What will people think if I make this decision? Everybody thinks I'm saved. What will they think if I... If I come forward and say I need to be saved, and it was a pride issue, and so finally, finally, somehow, praise God, he he gave me his help, and I prayed for it uh, to to surrender my heart to him and to do it publicly, and to care more about what he thinks, but I, I've not always done that. In my Christian life, there have been times I've caved to pressure, or I've not shared with somebody I needed to share. I felt prompted in my spirit to share with them, but I haven't because of the I didn't want to feel awkward. You ever been there? So, don't let political correctness keep you from obedience to God. So, overcoming temptations to sin. Um, don't let a difficult challenge, a persistent desire, a material gain, or a political correctness keep you from doing the will of God. The, the result of their disobedience was weeping. You know, sometimes in, in our Christian walk, we may fail the Lord, but I'm so glad that the scripture says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, God can restore that fellowship. There may be a season of time where you have leanness in in your soul when you're disobedient to God. I I believe that. I think I've experienced that in my life. Uh, But God is a God of grace. Praise God, despite our failures, uh, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who took the difficult challenge on our behalf. And went to the cross. And uh, he cared more about what God thought than about what people thought. That's the reason they put him there on the cross to begin with. And uh, in, in every challenge, in every area of his life, Jesus said, I do nothing but what the Father tells me to do. He lived a life of perfect obedience. And died on the cross in our place to pay for our sin so that we could be forgiven. Rose again. And then sent the Spirit of God. And he said, you disciples will do greater things than I've done. Why? Because I'm sending you the Spirit. Can I tell you something? Jesus has turned this thing on its head. Though we in our flesh, our old nature, will sometimes fail God in these ways we've talked about tonight. Uh, Praise God we don't have to stay there. We've been given the power of God to live a godly life. And so we can confess those things to God and tell him about our fear and tell him about where we are and say, Lord, I've failed you, but change my heart, fill me with your spirit, live through me, and uh, take those steps that that he gives us in his word to find the the freedom that he he wants to give us, and we can walk in victory with the blessing of God upon us anew and afresh. You remember Samson? Samson uh, lived a very sinful life, and he took the blessing of God for granted in his life, and, and over and over again sinned, and finally... Uh, he came to the point where God removed His hand off His life, and He allowed. He t- told Delilah, "It's so stupid, you know. Three times you, you, the Philistines are upon you." He's, but but He tells Delilah, "Cut my hair, and I'll be as weak as any other man." And and so they come and they cut Samson's hair, and 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 it says he he got up as before, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. What a sad commentary. I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. There's some horrific consequences in Samson's life, but at the end of his life, when they've taken him into the temple of Dagon and and uh, they're ridiculing him and making fun of him, he prays this simple prayer to God. He said, "Lord, uh, I know I've sin, sinned against you, but would you strengthen me this one last time?" And you know the story. God's spirit once again comes upon him, and he presses the the pillars down, and kills more fullest things in his death than he did in his life. And uh, God once again had his power upon Samson. Praise God that he has mercy upon us as sinners. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I know I need it. Um, thanks, thank God that his mercies are new every morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for uh, giving us this warnings in, in your word of how to um, avoid... Losing the power of God in our life. And um, and Father, I, I just pray that you would help us to, to take heed to these warnings, Lord, so that we can walk in the fullness of your power on a regular basis. But Father, we also thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses our sin and, and for your mercy that's near every morning and for your restoration that you bring through Jesus. Uh, Father, uh, if there's anyone today that doesn't know Christ, I pray that... Um, they would make a decision to repent and trust Him. And, and, and for those who are believers, Father, let us make the decision to be fully and wholly obedient with all our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm just going to ask you, Elaine to uh, play an invitation hymn of some kind. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity to respond uh, to what God has put upon your heart to do tonight. Maybe there's some area of disobedience in your life and you'd just like to come to this altar or come to me for prayer and uh, and deal with that tonight. Uh, maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ. He died for your sin to pay the price so you could be forgiven and have eternal life.